The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, $3 trillion. Apple on the doorstep of that milestone after this epic run. The stock now going for 12 updates in a row. Is it a sign of the rally's strength? or something else. We'll discuss that with the investment committee today. And joining me for the hour, Courtney Gibson, Rob Seachin, Joe Terranova, John Najeri, and he, of course, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We'll take you to the wall. I'll show you what markets are doing at 12 noon in the east. We're giving a little bit back, but not much. Pretty resilient. We're hanging in there. Dow's down 35, still hanging on to 35,000. There's the S&P 500, still above 4,600. NASDAQ, a lot of focus there lately with the huge run given back about one half of 1%. And there's Apple. I show it to you on the screen there because it is so important. Now, 177.76. We are on the $3 trillion watch. If it can close above that level, 183.83. 183.83 is the level that all of you need to watch. Apple's had a huge part of the NASDAQ 100 from the bottom uh, as well, at least from the low, Joe T, about 15%. Apple's gain uh, has accounted for for the Nasdaq 100. You sold it in the Joe T at the end of January. Give me your thoughts on Apple today after this run. What are you advising people to do? Own it personally. Uh, understand that, that Joe T is actively, uh, actively managed. So we're studying momentum and momentum for Apple at around 170 to 175 was kind of a swinging door. It swung down below it. And for the time being, uh, for much of the quarter, it looked like that was the right move. Certainly with it at 178 and restoring above that level today, it doesn't look like that. But I would tell people to own Apple. And I think the performance of Apple over the last several weeks is indicative of the overall environment where I don't think we're afraid of the downside anymore. I don't think we're afraid of a significant break below the January and February lows. In fact, I think most collectively, people view that as a tremendous opportunity, and I think that's exactly what Apple represents. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious. You know, when you make a move like that, and you're, you're worried about momentum, and you know, your Joe T is so focused on on quality, momentum. If, if that's the, a case study in why you don't mm -hmm. trade it, and then why you just you add it and then you leave it, because just when you think it's mm -hmm. it's not going to deliver at the the pace that it did, it does. Well, my, my response to that would be, number one, you're correct. And number two, all I could say is that at the end of April, we will have a rebalance and reconstitution and we'll be revisiting all positions okay. of which Apple's right. one of them. I mean, you could have done a mic drop after number one, you're correct. I was prepared for that. Didn't happen. Maybe, maybe <laughs> next time. Maybe next time. Now, Rob Seachin, not only do you own Apple, this was an eyebrow raiser for me. You're tactically overweight. It's now 10% of your portfolio. 10% of your portfolio is Apple. That's a little concentrated, no? I think that there's a little context required there, Scott. Um, By all means. We run, a lot of, we run a lot of portfolios. It's 10% of our quality growth portfolio. 
Okay. So we it's are still 10% of a portfolio, right? I mean, the it historical we, rule would tell you that's a little heavy, no? Well, it, it, it depends on how you run money. That's just one part of client okay, portfolio. Okay, so, you know, we, <laughs> we bought We bought a little <laughs> more last week. We had been underweight relative to the index. We went overweight uh, last week. I would tell you that it scores unbelievably high in our quantum mental screens. Um, it's cash flow rich, fundamentally sound, not reliant on debt financing for future growth, which, you know, as we're tightening rates, you know, you want to make sure the companies aren't exposed to that. So why does the why does the yield curve matter for Apple? It really doesn't. It generates a tremendous amount of free cash flow yield and and growth of 30 percent cash flow growth of 30 percent year on year. So listen, it's an incredibly high quality company. I would say that the decision that we made to, you know, add more to Apple in that specific portfolio was because of uh, because of the quality of the name. And, and we felt we had an opportunity to buy it at a at a relatively attractive level, and that turned out to be true. But you you hear where I'm going, though, right? I mean, that 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 is traditionally a pretty concentrated position when anything becomes 10 percent of, of your portfolio. Um, you're a, you're a good manager. You've been doing this a while. You know you know what you're talking about. But you know there are legitimate questions that that one could raise about that. Yeah. I would say of a portfolio, not the portfolio. The portfolio is a mosaic of much more than just that. Okay. Well, I mean, we can quibble with. You're the not going to get me there, Scotty, today. No, I mean, we can go semantics all you want. I mean, I think, I think, I think any portfolio that has a 10% weighting in a one single stock uh, is worthy of asking questions about, and and that, that that's what I'm doing because I don't know, I don't know. Courtney, that we would necessarily recommend to people that you have 10% of a, a portfolio, not the, not the, <laughs> A, in one single stock like Apple. Well, Scott, uh, thanks for having me back as always. It's good to see you, Courtney. Um, and I don't like to disagree with you often. However, uh, we'll just call this a, a pivot a little bit. Okay. Um, but I do, I do understand what Rob is saying. So at Loop Capital Markets, we cover large institutional investors as well as small and we cover clients that trade quantitatively and value so joe i'm gonna throw one your way in a second as well but what rob's saying is actually right so depending on your strategy you absolutely can have highly concentrated portfolios and it's not that big of a risk to have a name such as apple at 10 percent of a portfolio considering it's the most widely held stock I think it still is um, in, in the market right now. And so when you think about that name being 10% of, of a portfolio, especially one that might be a highly concentrated portfolio strategy, that's not a bad name to hold. And so, you know, and back to Joe's point as well, um, holding it in your personal portfolio, I do. And uh, and I absolutely love the name. I've held it, bought it, continued to add to the position. So, Scott, um I'll, I'll kind of sit in the middle there, like okay. Switzerland, and, and tell you that uh, Rob's right. But as are you, it could be a high percentage of a portfolio, but not if you're running concentrated portfolio. I totally get it, okay? I, I do. It's just when I saw 10%, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. I want to talk to him about it. Um, yeah. And maybe, uh, you know, our, our, our viewers were thinking about that, too. And by the way, I mean, if this is one of those moments where if Jim Cramer were to run out here and just throw on a mic and get on the set, I may be interested in doing that. Hint, hint. Um, okay, Dr. J., you have a pretty big position in Apple. Um, what are you thinking about after yes, a, run, a run like this? We, we could be talking 12 up days in a row. 
uh, you know, doesn't mean it's going to continue to grow to the sky. Or does it? No, but it's it's as you said at the top of the show, Scott, it's a recovery. I mean, we're not back to the all time highs for Apple. Um, (laughs) Apple, you know, briefly did trade over that three trillion mark, broke back down immediately. And then, you know, various other market uh, pushes took it down into the 148 ish range not too long ago to see it back here now, $30 higher than that. Um, is wonderful, but it's a recovery. Um, it's not that Apple just, uh, you know, went off on a, a wild tear. It was more or less uh, a bit of, I think, people raising cash. Talk about that a lot. To Courtney's point, if you're one of the most widely held stocks in the world, and that's where the winners are, when people got scared about the war and uh, with the troops massing and all the rest, they were lightening up on positions across the board. And this was one of the big piggy banks. So they took it down a little too far. Um, as, as we said at the time, both Apple and Microsoft, you buy them significantly on dips like that because nothing else changed in their worlds. Um, and again, you can only make that end of the world bet once and be right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we didn't we, we weren't sucked into that trade. Um, you know, to bet that the world's over and that, you know, let's just all go to (laughs) some other planet with Elon Musk. Uh, We thought that this was uh, an opportunity. And I still think it is even right here, just shy of three trillion, Scott. And when they come out with the new uh, innovations or upgrades in the fall, which they inevitably do, Mm -hmm. I think this one will be pushing closer to 200 than 177. So, um, and I'm obviously not getting anywhere on the is it too concentrated of a position position that I was trying to uh, take for the for the <laughs> sake of the, of the conversation. So let me throw this at you guys and see see where we go here. Um, the move is undeniably I- incredible, right? Um, is it a sign of the overall rally's mm-hmm. strength, or can you also make the argument that it's a sign of its weakness? That it's so concentrated once again in such a small number of names led by the biggest one on the planet that at some point it has to give, right? You can't rely on being so top-heavy. or I mean, or can you, Rob? So l- let me say this. When I called in a couple of weeks ago, Scott, uh, to say that we were aggressively adding to portfolios, you know, we, we cited a number of things and we saw them three times this year. 224, February 24th was a period of maximum uncertainty. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we were buyers. 3.8, which we call the blueprint bottom. Um, that's when, the, the, you know, Europe claimed to have had sufficient natural gas to make it through the winter. Global markets rallied and you saw the blueprint for what a recovery rally would look like. And then when I called into the show, which was 315, where equity futures stopped going down on bad news. We are buyers of that type of dip because we believe in the underlying strength of the economy. But right now, today, we would hit a pause on that. I would say the market's not quite overbought, but it's getting there. Um, Most forward-looking surveys are looking a little scary Frankly, um, there's still a lot of strength in in confidence and present situation. However, from an expectation standpoint, um, it, we're, we're starting to weaken a little bit. And 
you know, I think you just have to be careful as to when you add to portfolios. And I do not think that now is one of those times. So in a long winded way to answer your question, I think that, uh, you know, I think that it's the weakness side is why you're seeing why you're seeing Apple strong. It's among the most high quality names names uh, in the index. And it's it's kind of a way to play a little defense. I would say that we also raised a little cash today on this strength. By the way, um, in, in your defense and in Courtney's defense of you, um, mm-hmm. somebody points out on Twitter, like, hello, Warren Buffett's Apple position is like more than 40 percent of the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. So I guess what's good enough mm-hmm. for the Oracle of Omaha is good enough for Rob Seachin and Courtney Gibson. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Right, Court? Well, you know, I think what you make a good point, though, Scott. I mean, when you think about what Warren Buffett does, and we've disagreed on certain things that he's done, like when he sold Delta, I was buying. So I'm not going to say we're we're obviously aligned all the time, but he's pretty close to genius in our industry. Um, But what he does is, at least from what I've read and what I've heard, he invests in good companies, right? And you think about Apple, Apple thrives despite the challenges. It has great leadership, product innovation. Look at the services business. Let's look at the numbers. 72% margin on their services business. I mean, Scott, you're buying good companies here right now. And I think that's what we're seeing. And when you think about companies and what they're doing, they're buying back their stock also at these levels. I mean, when we look at the market and our desk in particular, we have more buybacks right now than we've seen in at least a decade. Look at the announcements and look at what companies are doing. They're confident in their future if they're a good one. So, Joe, to the question of whether this is mm-hmm. this run is a sign of the strength or weakness and weakness in quotes, obviously, of, of this rally. How would you answer that question? I think it's a sign of the overall secular market. Um, I disagree with that. This is a bear market. I think it's indicative of buyers wanting to take advantage of the opportunity when markets correct. I think what investors should be doing right here is what I suggested probably six weeks ago, and that's take a chart of the S&P 500 in 2016, print it out and put it on your desk, because I think 2022 is exactly that. So we sit here on March 30th, on on March 30th of 2016, you had further advances ahead for the S&P 500 by the year end. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that the second quarter in 2016 was basically a sideways quarter. If you study, which I do, analytics, the presidential cycle, the 16 quarters, you have now year two, quarter two is the weakest quarter in the 16 quarters of a presidential cycle going back to 1950. In addition to that, the month of April is the strongest quarter for treasuries. So you're entering a period right now where you're going to await earnings. I need some further confirmation from the NASDAQ 100. I wanted to accelerate with a strong degree of momentum and follow through above its 200-day moving average. As I said before, we want the earnings. Listen, you had the Tom Brady bottom when he announced that he was returning to football. Maybe Tiger Woods comes back at the Masters in April and that resets and uh, reestablishes a further advance higher. All right. I'm trying to wonder if is my head the only <laughs> one that's spinning um, after that dissertation. You need maybe you need to publish a white paper on all that or something, Joe. Because <laughs> yes, know, uh, right, got the doc? whiteboard. 
Uh, anyhow, Rob Seachin today says that he was buying the dips, but now he's not, at least here. He's not looking to add fresh money because maybe we're a little overbought. Doc, you agree with that or disagree? Um, well, you just made a case, Scott, for us not being overbought, except in a couple of those really big mega cap names, um, because you just made the case that, well, you know, we're being led by these five or seven stocks to the upside um, and the rest of the market isn't overbought. The rest of the market is, in many cases, you know, making its own correction. You're seeing a pretty significant correction in some of those consumer discretionary plays right now. Um, Restoration Hardware, uh, Williams-Sonoma, um, a number of those that are just getting clocked right now. Um, both of those, of course, just had their earnings and posted outlooks that were not uh, favorable in terms of how investors would feel about them immediately after the earnings, and that's why they're hitting the exits. Um, but I, I would say that uh, we're not broadly overbought. There could be a couple stocks. I don't think Microsoft is. It's still $30, I think, off of its all-time high. I don't think Apple is because of what we anticipate they will be announcing, not just cutbacks in the SE you know, which is their entry-level phone. That was yesterday's news. But what they're going to be doing, Scott, going forward with uh, both uh, the money they make, to Courtney's point, on the uh, uh, App Store and so forth, as well as, of course, Microsoft with Azure and the cloud. I mean, they must just be killing it right now. And I think that takes them to new all-time highs uh, before the end of the year. All right, so let's bring in our, our halftime headliner today. Ed Yardeni is the president of Yardeni Research. He's back with us once again. It's, uh, it's nice to see you, uh, Ed. You. you know, I was looking at your, your note that you put out today, and I was wondering what happened to the Ed Yardeni of March 7th when he said this. I want you to listen to this. Sure. Let's watch listen. it, and then we can talk on the other side. Sure. Since the war, I think stagflation is the scenario that's probably most descriptive of what we're starting to see and what we'll see in the next several months, which is higher inflation than we thought before the war and slower economic growth. But now what happened to that guy? Because you were worried about, well, you worried about stagflation. Today, our conclusion is that it's still a bull market and that you well, see 5,000 to 6,000 of the S&P next year. Yeah, stagflation isn't necessarily bearish for the stock market. I mean, clearly... It's associated with the Fed raising interest rates. And you can see that uh, since March 8th, thereabouts, right since early March, we've seen the bond yield go from 2 to 2.5%. And yet all the stocks that were supposed to do poorly in that kind of an environment, particularly technology stocks, have actually done remarkably well. Uh, what I'm saying is a more stagflationary environment, which means slower economic growth, 2 2.5%. And inflation is going to be more persistent. It's going to be higher for longer. But you know, one of the best uh, hedges against inflation happens to be stocks, earnings. Well, we know revenues keep up with inflation. And the remarkable thing is companies are still holding on to their profit margins. And so earnings are also going up with uh, inflation. So rising inflation is actually not bad for corporate earnings. My concern was that the valuation multiple would take a hit. And instead, the valuation multiple has popped right back up to almost 20 times uh, forward uh, earnings for the S&P 500. And a lot of that has to do with the stocks you've been talking about, the mega cap eight. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's justified, Ed. Well, uh, you know, 
I, I don't get moralistic about these uh, these moves in the market. Uh, I'm very impressed with the fact that the market has rebounded from its March 8th low in the face of uh, certainly lots to worry about. There's uh, Ukraine inflation. I mean, I've I've listened to you make a list of, of all these issues, and yet the market continues to do well. At the end of the day, it's PE times Z, and the earnings outlook is still very good. Analysts continue to raise their expectations for earnings, and the valuation multiple. It's a tough. It's a tough call, but uh, clearly, I think we are seeing a tremendous amount of money coming to the United States on a global basis because all these geopolitical disturbances have kind of uh, maybe switch gears from uh, Tina. There is no alternative to uh, TNOC, uh, which is no other country uh, but the U.S. that has the kind of uh, economic stability, financial stability that we have relative to the rest of the world. So I, I'm, you know, I, I pay attention to the market as, as you do, and I'm very impressed by the market's resilience in the face of uh, what should have been bad news, the yield curve, uh, the 10 to 2 yield curve being uh, flat. Uh, the bond yield going up, and yet uh, look how well the stock market's doing. I think we have to consider the possibility that investors are looking at stocks as inflation hedges. So we're not going back to revisit the bottom because there's still conversation about whether we could yeah. go back and do that. And, you know, could it, anything could happen, uh, obviously. Well, but the yeah. likelihood of it happening to you today is what? Well, Scott, that, that's why I've decided that instead of giving year-end targets, I'm going to do ranges for this year and next year. And uh, the, the ranges, I, I think we made a low for the year at uh, roughly 4,200 back on March 8th. I think the, the high this year is going to be uh, 5,000. And could we retest the low? Look, tell me uh, how much uh, progress we're going to make in this Ukraine disaster. Uh, let's see how this uh, latest wave of the pandemic uh, uh, plays out. But I think to the extent that the markets discounted these issues, uh, we may very well have seen the the lows for the market for this year. Wow. I mean, and then, you know, it, it, let's say there is an inversion. I mean, for all intents and purposes, we're, we're, we're basically there. We're within two basis points, uh, again, of, of it happening. Does it matter to you whether it actually happens or not? I mean, the point is being yeah. made by where it is anyway now. Yeah. Well, I've, I've done a lot of work on the yield curve. A lot of people have been slicing and dicing the yield curve and They've managed to find uh, where the problem is right now, which is the spread between the 10 and the two year. You know, in the index of leading economic indicators, the official yield curve is actually the 10 year minus the Fed funds rate. And as you know, that's actually widening. Uh, still, it's, it's steepening. It's not going uh, uh, going the way of the 10 to two year. As a matter of fact, this is the most uh, dramatic divergence between these two measures of the yield curve we've ever seen. Meanwhile, uh, over at the Fed, uh, Powell is... Uh, really been pointing out that he likes looking at a very short end of the yield curve, which is the three-month Treasury bill rates today versus mm -hmm. the forward rate. And that's also suggesting that there's no recession in sight. So uh, I'm not ignoring the 10 to 2, but I, I, I'm going with the 10-year the, the versus the Fed funds rate which suggests the economy is still gr growing. You're not the only one. Right? Well, I mean, we had a conversation with Steve Leisman, I don't know, sure. maybe about a week ago about this very, very same topic. I appreciate your point of view, Ed. We'll talk to you soon. That's Ed Yardeni. It was a pleasure. Yep. Thank uh, you. Pleasure's ours, the, the president of Yardeni uh, Research. Let's do this, guys, because we, I thought we had a very interesting delivering alpha quarterly stock report with some pretty interesting answers from, from all, of, all of those who, who voted. Question one, where will the S&P and it's a perfect way to come out of Ed. Where will the S&P be by the end of 2022? 58% uh, uh, said about flat to where we are now. 
36, I mean, more than a third suggest above 5,000. Court, what, what do you think? I think it's highly possible. I absolutely think it's highly possible. If we get some of the macro news out of the way and we be, are able to now focus on earnings and strong earnings growth, I know we've gone back and forth about the consumer, Scott, but all it's telling us is that people are making more money. They're spending that money. We have to get more supplies in, which means you have to raise the prices. And then when you raise prices, guess what? People have to make more money. And so, you know, that cycle, which could be a dangerous cycle at some point if we don't manage it appropriately, but, but ultimately we are in a very good position and strong companies with strong leadership are going to outperform. So we can talk about those mega cap names and why they should or shouldn't be where they are from a valuation perspective. They're running good businesses and, and they should be rewarded for that. And, and I think that's exactly what's happening at this point. You know, Dr. J, three sectors will be the biggest or these three sectors will be the biggest winners of, of 2022 between energy, financials and technology. Financials got 62 percent, which frankly surprises me. So energy wins. But I mean, energy's got a big head start. And I totally understand that. But financials mm-hmm. with the, the yield curve where it is and concerns about the economy where they are. Does that make sense? Well, uh, I think overall, Scott, obviously the, the, the banks, uh, financials in particular, of course, are really focused in on, you know, that higher interest rate and whether or not it destroys demand, uh, because it certainly puts a lot more money on the bottom line if they stay at the same loan demand uh, and or if it even were to uh, upgrade a little bit. Uh, with these higher interest rates and the differential between what they pay and what they uh basically uh, get to scalp on. Uh, That's manna from heaven for these guys. But you don't want to destroy demand by having these rates go up too far too fast. Um, So I'm not surprised to see financials on this list. And I would say some of the uh, uh, travel stocks uh, are, are also poised to do much better, Scott. I mean, when when I took a look at the cruise line industry and how many jobs had been lost, we had over four Okay, Dr. J's frozen. We, we try and, we'll try and get him back. Rob Seachin, what are you most likely to buy now, we ask people? Stocks paying high dividends, number one. Financials, number two. But stocks paying high dividends, 30%. That was the answer, and that led the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's a bet on quality, right? Div- dividends are, uh, are an indication of quality. We, we came into the year... Uh, with energy as as our top choice, that was uh, that, that continued to be my answer. Although I think uh, you know, I think uh, it's gonna it, it's probably gonna take a break here for a little while, but still energy top answer. Financials also, I, I think it's dependent on what you think is gonna happen uh, to rates at the at the longer end, and uh, unquestionably. Uh, the Fed is focused on the front end of the curve, as Ed said. It is very, very steep. That gives them the ammunition to keep cranking and focusing on what they're supposed to do, which is control one of the biggest risks to the economy, mm-hmm. which is inflation. So I think you're going to continue to see that. I see why financials are there. Okay. Uh, I think technology made its way in towards the end for us. 
because it just got hit so hard, so right. it became more attractive. Okay, good stuff. You can get more insights, by the way, from the most successful investors in the Delivering Alpha newsletter. You can subscribe by scanning the QR code on your screen or go to cnbc.com slash delivering alpha newsletter. When we come back, John's unusual activity, plus trades on some of the biggest analyst calls of the day, including one Dow stock down 15% in the last six months. Courtney owns it. The debate is next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. I'm Frank Collin. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The families of the Sandy Hook shooting victims are rejecting a settlement offer from InfoWars host Alex Jones. That offer would have paid each plaintiff $120,000 to resolve a defamation lawsuit. A trial is now planned to determine how much Jones should pay those families in damages. A former Yale School of Medicine employee stole $40 million worth of computers and electronics from the school. To fund a lavish lifestyle, 42-year-old Jamie Patron pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud and one count of filing a false tax return. The Foo Fighters are indefinitely canceling all upcoming tour dates following the shocking death of 50-year-old drummer Taylor Hawkins. Hawkins joined the band in 1997 and died on Friday during the group's South American tour just hours before they were set to perform. No cause of death has been revealed yet. And it took firefighters several hours to get a control of a three-alarm blaze that tore through a bowling alley in Pennsylvania. No injuries were reported, but the building is being considered a total loss. That's the latest. Scott, back over to you. All right, Frank Holland, thanks so much. Bank of America today has reiterated Disney as a buy. They say the firm is, quote, hitting it out of the park. Price target remains, again, remains $191. It's our call of the day. Courtney, you own it. This stock has been a battleground, too, uh, of late, an underperformer. Is it going to come back to life? Hey, Scott, I'm going to, I know you have children, and we don't talk about Bruno, and we don't talk about Disney in a bad way at all. Disney is the media giant. It's the best brand in media right now. The parks, I think that is going to be the biggest surprise as this reopening continues, because there's so much upside potential yet and still in this name. The visibility around their international business, when Shanghai opens, Disney is a name you want to own. I've said it for years that this is a name you could have, put in your back pocket, and never get rid of. And I even think right now, even at 141, 142, I think where it is trading right now, it's still a good buy at this point because it's not expensive. It's not expensive even here. They got a lot ahead of them, though, right? I mean, they're still trying to grow their subscribers for Disney+. Plus. It's going to cost a lot of money. They need more content. That's going to cost even more money. I mean, we can't. We can't be dismissive of, of real issues just because we think it's a great company with good theme parks, right? Well, I mean, Scott, I mean, 
being a great company is part of what you want to invest in. Great balance sheets are what you want to invest in. Great leadership, especially at the board level. And I am a little biased with Calvin McDonald, who's the CEO of Lulu that sits on Disney's board. It is absolutely an incredible, incredible company and business with some of its best days still ahead of it. And you can record it and play it back like you did with, with Ed. But Disney has some great days ahead of it. Okay. Um, those palm trees behind you uh, are for a reason. You're down in Miami, I believe. And tell us about this fabulous event and this uh, scholarship program that you're participating in. Yes, I sit on the board of trustees at the University of Miami, um, and they are right now focused on uh, getting their scholarship recipients and the donors together at a wonderful luncheon. And I have an endowed scholarship there for business students of African-American descent to hopefully continue to diversify this industry that we're in, Scott. So super excited to be here today. All right. Love it. Love it. Uh, good stuff, Court. And thank you for thank being you. here. That's Courtney Gibson joining us. Coming up, Courtney is on the board, by the way, of Lululemon. Those shares are surging post earnings. We're going to debate the best athletic stock to own right now. We're back after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Take a look at shares of Lululemon. They're higher today after the company reported an earnings beat, better than expected guidance, and a $1 billion buyback. Joe Terranova, you own shares of that stock, which is up 11.5%. I sure do, and it's about to retake the 200-day moving average at 388. It's got now both technical and fundamental momentum. Uh, this was a very strong quarter. It put to rest a lot of the supply chain concerns that were present back in the month of December introducing in the women's line sneakers so we're finally seeing footwear to challenge nike ultimately you'll see uh, men's footwear at some point early next year bought the stock on the sell-off at the end of february happy to do to uh, to do that own it here and we'll continue to do so as the stock pushes back towards it all-time high at 485 you got it personally only or is it in the joe t i just don't remember what, what's in and what's not i personally own the stock, and I personally wear all the clothes. Okay. All right. That didn't answer. The, it's not in the Joe T, though. No, it is not. Okay. Scott. That's what I was trying to get at. Okay. Uh, Dr. J, you have Lulu calls. Yeah. Uh, and delighted to have those, Scott. Um, one of the reasons I was so excited about the company was, you know, our previous panelist, Courtney Gibson. When she got on the board there and started telling me not insider stuff, but things that were exciting that they were doing, like this footwear line, Scott, I think that's it, it's it's not quite the same to compare what they're doing to Tesla versus the automakers. But, you know, obviously going after a shoemaker like Nike, 
um, or Adidas, any of the other brands, um, and just starting fresh and going after that, these guys, their direct-to-consumer model is so strong um, that I think this is a fantastic move by Lulu. I think this will be a multi-billion dollar part of their business. And, uh, you know, I'm just very enthusiastic. That's obvious, Doc. That's obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love it. And the calls, by the way, I rolled up. I didn't sell out, Scott. I sold out of my April 350s and rolled them out to the May 370s, I believe. So I'm still sticking with it. So I'm hoping Joe's right and that we blast through 388 to the upside and push back into the 400s. Okay, so yesterday during overtime, we were playing off of Lulu's earnings, and we, we asked people, what do you think is the best athletic stock to own right now? Is it Lulu? Is it Nike? Is it Dick Sporting Goods? Or is it something else? Lulu came in second place. Nike was 496 do we agree with that, Rob Seachin? What do we think? So what I would tell you, Scott, is when you look at the, the, the prices of all these stocks, it, ma it matters to us. And Lulu is certainly the most expensive, followed by Nike, followed by Dick's. Dick's is actually pretty cheap. We don't own any athleisure. Right now, our exposure in retail is through another type of shoe that you would drive, which is AutoZone. So... Um, you know, they're in the auto parts and, and supplier uh, uh, market. So we, we, we like that. It's different. We don't own athleisure. But if I picked one, it'd probably be Nike um, simply because of the quality of the business. And we've owned it before. I mean, Joe, you know, Nike had kind of fallen out of favor for a while. And then, you know, I wonder if this most recent earnings report is the thing that gets people excited about that stock. Everybody's, you know, seems to be excited about Nike as Nike, but from a stock standpoint, it didn't give you much reason to be excited. Is that going to change? I think, it, I think it can change. I think both of these stocks are compelling here. I'm still going to favor Lulu. I don't think Lulu is that much more expensive on a valuation basis relative to Nike. And I like the innovation that's coming from Lulu. It does not mean there's not innovation coming from Nike. Uh, there, there is to a certain extent. But Lulu has rewarded me well, so I'll stay with that. Uh, if you have room in a portfolio and you could find a place for Nike, I have no problem buying Nike here. Uh, I think there's more upside potential relative to the downside based on the last report. Uh, from the company. You know, I, I mean, if Weiss was here, he'd tell you Dick Sporting Goods is the one to go to because he's he's been in that name, Doc. And, um, you know, over the last 12 months, it's up 39 percent. The P.E. on on DKS is near near eight. Cheap. Yeah. And and they're not as tied to, you know, obviously uh, just the whims of the consumer with one brand because they offer, you know, virtually every brand in their stores. Um, so it's a different bet. It's almost like an ETF, if you will, Scott, for some of the athleisure and athletic plays. But uh, in terms of a concentrated play on something that's uh, just really working, I know Dix does a great job with the uh, direct-to-consumer, uh, but Lulu is far and away the leader here. I think Nike is about 35% of their market share uh, is coming from, you know, digital, Scott. Lulu's over, over 42%, and it grew at 17% in 
in this quarter. That's amazing, and that's one of the reasons you bet on this stock going forward. Because once a consumer finds a website that they like to buy stuff from, they keep going back to it. Um, and I think that's the reason you bet on Lulu over Nike. All right, Doc, you take a look at Unusual Activity. We're going to take this quick break. We'll come back with that next. Unusual Activity time, Dr. J. All right, here's something that's not unusual, Scott. It's another energy-related play. Energy, uh, basically because of some of the sanctions and so forth, one of the hottest sectors, and ET, uh, this one looks like it is just going to blast to a new 52-week high, Scott. Um, it's up a little today, trading at about $11.20. They're buying April 11.50 calls, so just that far out of the money, 25 cents out of the money or something like that, uh, two weeks out because obviously we're coming up to the first week in April, so Friday will be uh, that. Uh, two weeks after that, these options expire. They bought about 5,000. That's half a million share equivalent. Energy transfer basically runs 12,000 miles of natural gas pipeline as well as storage facilities and pays about a 6.5% dividend. So all of that got me excited enough to say I'm adding to this position today. Okay. Second one, Lithium America, uh, which is pretty much, Scott, uh, of course, another energy play because lithium's what goes into the batteries of the folks that aren't burning a fossil fuel. They're instead running a Tesla or any of these other cars. And Lithium America, LAC, uh, stocks 35, 40. They're buying upside calls at the 45 strike in April. I don't know if it gets that far that fast, but I like the upside speculation. I bought the 35s, and my intention is to sell upside calls against it, Scott. And you know what a believer in lithium and nickel and all the rest I am for this uh, particular space. I like LAC a lot. All right, good stuff, Dr. J. Thank you very much. It's been a volatile year Thank for you. Bitcoin so far. We'll find out where investors think its price will be by year end. It may surprise you as well. We're back on the half right after this. Right, we're back in some more interesting results from our Delivering Alpha quarterly survey on cryptos. We asked investors where they see Bitcoin prices by the end of the year. And take a look at that. I mean, it's pretty close. Barely anybody thinks it's going over 75K. Dr. J, I'm wondering what you make of these results. Under 60,000 and under 40,000 tied at 26, but everything was in the 20s except for the, you know, over 75. I would be betting against that uh, anybody that thinks it's going to break back down into the 20s, Scott. Um, I think Bitcoin goes uh, higher this year. Perhaps not as significantly higher as a lot of those maximalists uh, were pounding the table last year for 200000 and things like that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, the things that are going on with crypto, Goldman Sachs, uh, deeper and deeper into the space. And then you've got the derivatives and or the altcoins like Ethereum. I'm out here at the big NFT conference, NFTLA. Um, huge crowds at this one. And that NFT space is absolutely blowing up as well, Scott. So I think this is a space that people should at least get familiar with, if not take some stakes in it, because I think the upside here is pretty amazing. I just wonder, though, Doc, about how closely tied Bitcoin especially is going to be towards risk assets and speculative assets like like it has been. And the fact that the second part of sure. the year could be a little treacherous given what's in front of us with the Fed. 
Um, it could be, Scott, but um, a lot of us were hearing and seeing evidence of a lot of the trades that were made in Bitcoin at the tail end of last year and into the beginning of this year, um, and then were being liquidated um, in Dubai, for the most part, uh, turned into fiat currency in Dubai. And that was more or less putting that downward pressure on Bitcoin for quite a lot of the basically from February through the beginning of the war and basically till last week. Um, that seems to have lightened up dramatically, that selling pressure, which is how, of course, people moved money out of Russia and moved down to Dubai and other jurisdictions. Um, that selling pressure was immense. It was billions and billions per day that were being sold. And that more or less is uh, enough to overcome the bullishness that otherwise might have lifted during the war the prices of some of those cryptos. Now you're seeing it as, you know, Bitcoin broke 48 yesterday and hangs around 46 today. Okay. Good stuff. Again, you can subscribe to the Delivering Alpha newsletter. Scan the QR code on your screen right now or go to CNBC.com slash Delivering Alpha newsletter. Final trades are coming up next. Overtime today, 4 o'clock Eastern. The best place to make money in energy right now is what? It's exactly the question I'm going to ask Mark Fisher today. One of the best energy traders ever, MBF Clearing CEO, he joins us. Tom Lee dropped a new note today. He will join me. Josh Brown, he always drops some knowledge on us. He will be in overtime as well. I'll see you at 4 o'clock Eastern time a little bit later on. All right, final trades. Dr. J, start us off, please. I mentioned cruise lines earlier, Scott. We're seeing unusual activity in RCL, Royal Caribbean, right now. So Good. I bought that. Okay. Rob Seachin. We'll see if Mark Fisher corroborates this, but my final trade is OIH, the oil field services ETF. Even when the war ends, countries and companies will continue to be reluctant to buy Russian oil uh, due to self-sanctioning. And this is a tailwind for new expanded drilling in other areas of the world, which helps the services co uh, companies. SLB, uh, Schlumberger is the largest holding in that uh, ETF. Okay. We will talk about all of that, of course, with Mr. Fisher whom Joe Terranova knows quite well. Joe, what's your final trade? Sure do. Long Merck, staying with it. You're finally getting a technical breakout. It's at its the highest levels for the year. Take advantage of the valuation discount that exists for the healthcare sector relative to the S&P. Okay. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.